I'm Jonathan Bastian. This week on KCRW's Life Examined, when it comes to being fulfilled and successful in a relationship, finding the right partner is essential, right? Turns out that actually being happy and content together is less about them and more about you. I'm just looking for somebody with the right stuff wrong because I'm way better at certain things that are wrong in another person than I am with other things. Usually your partner can be difficult, but if you know who you are and you know your worth, it's not that big of a deal. You're like, oh, he's grumpy today. And some hard truths on divorce. Despite more and more women wanting that fairy tale wedding, they're also much more likely to file for separation. The feminine energy, when it is not happy in a relationship, is really unhappy. The masculine energy can like offload into other things. It's not as important to be fulfilled in that way. Relationship writer Tracy McMillan on marriage, divorce, and a whole lot more. That's coming up on Life Examined. Probably the single most important commitment that any of us will make during our lifetimes is to a partner. And from fairy tales to Hollywood movies, reality shows, and our Instagram feeds, till death do us part, for many, is the ultimate goal in a relationship. So what influences our choice when it comes to seeking a partner? And is there any guide to whether our choice will lead to a successful and long-term partnership? And why do some of us settle while others seem on a constant quest? Relationship author Tracy McMillan may have some clues, as she speaks from experience. McMillan has been married and divorced three times. Her experience taught her about herself, why she was unable to relate effectively in a relationship. Finding the right partner, she discovered, was less about them than it was about her. Tracy McMillan is the author of I Love You and I'm Leaving You Anyway, and Why You're Not Married Yet, The Straight Talk You Need to Get the Relationship You Deserve. She's also the host of the relationship show Family or Fiancé. And let me make one thing clear. Tracy is not a therapist, rather an observer and writer. So while some of the things we're going to talk about, like attachment theory, are grounded in psychology, we're also going to explore ideas that are the results of her experience and research. So please take them for what they are, which if nothing else, are tools for self-inquiry. Well, Tracy McMillan, welcome to Life Examined. Thanks for having me. You've spoken uh, just so beautifully, openly, I mean, just about the fact that you've been th- married three times, you've been in and out mm-hmm. of these things, you you know what it's like. And mm-hmm. I, I wonder at this point in your life, when you think about these experiences, how have they changed what you expect, maybe from yourself or from a partner or just relationships in general? Mm-hmm. I, I know it's a big question. I'm trying That's to find out everything. Question. But I, <laughs> I I wonder, you know, you're a, you probably have a pretty interesting perch now in terms of where you come come from experientially. So just kind of welcome us into where you are now and and a bit about you. So yes, I have been married and divorced three times, once each in the 80s, 90s, and zero zeros. Mm. And after that third divorce, I realized that it wasn't just like, (laughs) to quote Jonathan Franzen, it wasn't Mm. that I needed to make a correction. It's that I needed to take the relationship house all the way down to the studs. Mm. And that what, what you get, like the unique, <laughs> the unique takeaway from being such a you know, colossal failure to fail three times. And I say that tongue in cheek because I don't think it makes me unworthy in any way. And I know I can love myself even having had made these three big mistakes because I understand it now. Mm. But... What I really get to see is that the common denominator is me. Hmm. And I don't think you necessarily get that from one divorce. (laughs) I think you have to really go through some relationships enough times to be convinced that it's you. And where does that examination of of you or myself or the I in this begin? I mean, Mm -hmm. I think we both know, and and I've been, I went through a very unexpected divorce and it still is with me almost every day, but just the kind Mm -hmm. of, where does the self-reflection begin knowing that there is so much culturally that is Mm -hmm. tied up in what we think we should expect from others or what a marriage is or what a a union is? I mean, you know? It's so true. So, a little bit more about me now. I had met a man on a plane before the pandemic, and we were we had a sort of lovely epistolary acquaintanceship. Yeah, you know, yeah. 
And it wasn't overtly romantic in any way. It was really just like art and life and different things. We would write emails and that's it, only emails. And with the pandemic, it was decided, you know, maybe we should try to see each other. Mm. Long story short, for the last three years now, we've been in our relationship and I moved to Columbus, Ohio. And now I'm in the Midwest seeing, which is all just a way of saying, I'm now contrasting my own experience with my experience in Los Angeles and my experience of what the expectations are around relationships, the possibilities, the consciousness, the awareness, all these things, what they are in, in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. And they are, I want to say, in some ways they're very different, but in some ways they're not. And the question of like, what is a good relationship? And are people happy? Like, I will go to a farmer's market here, which this place is very, Ohio is very family oriented. And I will look and I know that many of these couples got married as a matter of course. Mm-hmm. They did this, then they did this, then they did this, then they did this, right? They graduated from high school, went to college, graduated, got a job, you know, moved in, got married, had a baby. And then I always joke that it's a baby and a remodel, a baby and a remodel, a baby and a remodel. <laughs> right, right. And pretty soon there's no more babies and no more remodels. And that's when they go, hmm, what, what choice did I make and where did I make it from? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the reckoning. Now, there have been probably tiny reckonings along the way, but life has a way of making the um, lesson bigger and bigger until you get it. And you can't decide what the lesson is, but you can sort of decide with your free will, going to your question, how do you make, how do you decide you're going to interrogate yourself instead of externalize the, the crisis, the moment of truth, the whatever it is, the blame. And you have to come to yourself and go, hmm, where did this, where, how did I end up here? And I feel like the people who really deeply ask themselves that question a little bit all along, but also at the end of anything, get to, you know, up level. And then you get a new lesson <laughs> or a new set of life circumstances or challenges because life is always going to be life. Yeah. So I hope that's not too sweeping no, I, of an answer. No, I love that because... You, well, you hit on so many things here that we could talk about, which is maybe different expectations depending on the part of the country you're in. But I, but I actually want to focus first, though, mm-hmm. on what you said about the <laughs> the baby in the remodel story. Because mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think what I see a lot now is, and this might sound counterintuitive at first, which is that life is almost—I don't want to say more comfortable—but we're almost better at going from like crisis to crisis or activity to activity, mm. right? Oh, you might be right. Mm-hmm. You know, and that like, because in a sense, all of those things can be a distraction from mm-hmm. a marriage or ultimately probably ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that I think what you're talking about is you know, what happens when you actually are forced to sit in that silence of a relationship when the crises have stopped for a second. Yeah. And then you look at each other and say, here we are. And I think that that's that's a scary place for a lot of people, but maybe mm-hmm. the most crucial one, right? I agree. Because I think what it does is it moves you from object to subject. Because mm-hmm. what, what we're really talking about here is too often when people are in, I, I'm, I'm hitting all these beats, adulthood beats, mm. and it includes marriage and kids and the baby and the remodel and blah, blah, blah. You don't, you're not a subject in that system. (laughs) You are an object in that system. Everyone is. Mm -hmm. So it's like you have to move from playing a role of mom, dad, husband, wife, daughter, to um, even if it's playing a role in your own mind, right? Playing a role to authentic self. And so this gets me to like, you know, there's a lot of relationship science now that we didn't even have 10 years ago. But what we know now is that like attachment is everything. So I'm going to say now, 
I'm not a scientist in this area. I am a pundit. <laughs> I am an interested observer with yes. a lot of life experience and a lot of professional experience that isn't necessarily clinical, but it's like I, I host a reality show. Right. I've done 60 episodes of this reality show mm -hmm. deep in it with these couples who are about to get married. It's a pretty good, I feel like if I were getting a a license, that would have been my 3,000 hours of, <laughs> of <laughs> practice hours is this reality show that I host on the Oprah Winfrey Network. And what I see is like, you really do only have two categories. You have the secure functioning couples who are in secure attachment strategies, and you have the insecure functioning couples who usually both, it's always both because it's a system, are I have insecure attachment strategies. And if you are in a marriage with insecure attachment strategies, it is just, you're either going to do work to move towards security or secure strategies, or you're going to probably break up hmm. or you're going to stay together unhappily. So this is where you really got to get into the science. People want to say, oh, this thing happened to me. It's like, that would have been predicted long time ago in the, you could have predicted that and john gottman did right does. that's what i was thinking gottman said yeah. he could predict couples actually just when they walked in the door exactly in right. a two hour mm -hmm. watching a two-hour conflict discussion he will already know right. if you're going to get divorced and let know. me just quickly say john gottman is one of the founders of of kind of couples relationship science mm -hmm. and we've we've discussed this on the yep. show a bit i can tell our listeners more about that afterwards but continue yeah yeah. So, and he's the guy who really got in there and quantified this. We thought it was black magic, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, all you were had to go on was what your sister said or what your grandma said yes. or what we do yeah. in this like family. Folk you wisdom, kind any, of. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. You didn't yeah. have any like clear, objective realities around this action yields this result. This subset of actions yields this result. So you can't have this conversation about a divorce without talking about attachment strategy. Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to say, if you get into the dating pool after about 35, again, not scientific, just my observation, most of the securely attached people will have already paired up mm. and they don't get divorced because it's not hard for them to be in a relationship. It's not uncomfortable. They're not struggling. They are not struggling to have enough distance or enough closeness. They're just they get it. It's almost like a form of affluence. You know, it's like a flow yeah. that they're in. And then when you're in the other system, it, the, there's all this grinding, somebody's pursuing, somebody's distancing, people's needs aren't being met, they don't know how to uh, resolve conflict. And, you know, well, and this, I think, brings up something that I think is really important. And then maybe you can reflect on yourself and tell us about where you come from that, that attachment styles, which is, you know, the ways that we interrelate and love in these very deep interpersonal ways. Uh, and that, bond. And yeah. bond, right. I mean, mm -hmm. that um, there's a sense that these, I don't know, there could be a genetic component, but they could also be learned behaviors in an environment. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you've spoken very candidly about coming up through you know, a, a rocky childhood, I think foster mm -hmm. care system. Is that yeah. right? And I couldn't have gotten any. And, really. and I wonder like, what, what were the signals you were taking in about relationships or marriage and that maybe you found yourself replaying? I'd love to just explore mm. that for a little That's bit. That's interesting. Yeah. So I saw, I mean, my, my main foster mother told me that I was in 24 foster homes. Wow. I first went, I don't, I, I honestly, I'm like, she must have had it wrong, but she's a very accurate lady. So I, I, uh -huh. I trust her. But so I first went into foster care at three months. My mother was uh, a 19 year old from Minneapolis. She went to all girls Catholic school. She was, uh, by all accounts, very smart, you know, and then she got in a relationship with my dad, but she was rebellious. And she got in a relationship with my dad, who was like 28 years old. And they get in a relationship. She gets pregnant. She's not ready for a baby. And she gives me up at three months. I go, I bounce around. And then my dad, though, is much older than her and is actually pretty nurturing in his own way. And so he gets me back when I'm 18 months. And I'm with him for the next 18 months. Uh, until I'm three, he go, gets his first big sentence, goes to Leavenworth, 
and is there for four years. Mm -hmm. And I go into uh, foster care again. It's sort of complicated, but we'll keep it simple. I lived with this Lutheran minister, his wife, and their five kids for the next four and a half years. So from age four and a half to eight. Mm. And then my dad got out of Leavenworth, came back, got me, and I went to live with him and his girlfriend. Um, And then maybe a year and a half later, he goes back to prison and I'm with her. And by this time, the state is like, yeah, or the county is like, she can't just stay here with her dad's girlfriend. (laughs) she's going to have to either, but she's too old to go back into foster care. So we're going to send her to the orphanage. So my dad's girlfriend comes to me and she said, what would you like to do? And I was 10. I've seen a lot of life. (laughs) And Mm. I'm like, well, obviously I'm going to stay here. And I lived with her for the next 10 years. Wow. So I give you this to say I had a, a world of chaos with, you know, multiple caregivers, um, mother, you know, abandonment by my mother. Then I had secure, like the Carlsons, my foster family, unbelievable, Hmm. unbelievable people. I'm still in a relationship with them. Um, And then I had my dad's mom, which totally, I would say she's undiagnosed bipolar, but there were certain things. She sent me to good schools. You know, she was very ambitious in this one way. She knew about the arts. She played piano. She was very talented and very, very smart. So I got exposed to the world of culture and the world of arts through her. And I went to great schools. Mm -hmm. And I'm from Minneapolis, so I'm very lucky that there's a social services um, infrastructure there that is actually could create a person with my background to being the life I have today. So anyway, I'm going into adulthood very insecure functioning. I'm on the anxious side, but I also have some avoidance. And the first thing I do is I just want to be safe. I'm just like, can someone please take care of me? And I get married. I meet a guy when I'm 17. He's nine years older than me. And I get married when I'm 19. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I stay with him for five years. And we actually have a really good relationship, you know, during this time. And that was like my whole nervous system relaxed. I, it was what you were talking about. It was safety. Like for the first time, wow, I don't have to be worried about what's going to happen next. But I found it very hard to stay in those places. And also, I think I wasn't there for the right reasons. You know, I was there for a survival. I was not there for because this was the kind of um, relationship that was going to take us into, you know, five decades. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that we are also caught in, the, in our long lifespans. Like, I just don't know that you can expect that some people, sure, if they don't change very much, they can get married at 24 and have all their needs met by that same person at 64 or 74 or 44. But if you're a person who's really, this is one of my things I see about myself. I've had so many different lives and I've evolved so fast in this lifetime just because that's what I had to do or that's how it unfolded for me that one person could never have partnered me through all those things Hmm. that's a or I shouldn't say never tall order I mean that you're yeah that would be like you got lucky you know Hmm. if you found that Um, most of many of my friends from high school I graduated in 1982 so this wasn't completely unheard of at least four or five of my friends married their high school sweetheart and they are still married, but also they live in the same school district. Uh Like they haven't moved anywhere or gone anywhere. And I've had 14 lives. So I don't blame anybody. I think you just have to know who you are and do, that's what I mean by the authentic self instead of the role playing. Hmm. Well, this kind of brings up a big question and it almost echoes back to something you said at the beginning, and it's how we often frame divorce, which is as failure, right? Mm-hmm. And and and, yeah. and and I wonder how we sit with these concepts of of failure as divorce, which I think is a word we could pick apart and probably work through and reframe. But I think that also someone like yourself, who's led a very dynamic life, and is asking the question: Could there have even been one person mm-hmm. to have companioned me? through these different decades Mm -hmm. of change, right? And I think like those are really interesting things 
to sit with. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and, and it gets to questions about the idea of, you know, are, are we designed, whatever that means, to have one partner for 40 years or 50 years, considering our lifespans are so much longer now than they used to yeah. be as well. And I think some people are. That's mm-hmm. the answer. Some people <laughs> are. And other people aren't. And if you're not that person, which is to say, I don't know, some people can't carry a tune. Well, does that mean you're a bad person? No. It just means you had a different kind of assignment here. Yeah. Oftentimes, I'll look at things in sort of evolutionary terms. You're like, okay, you've got a population, you've got a species, and you want some of them to be this way and some of them to be this way. I mean, what helps us survive? So I just think there's a reason, a season, and a lifetime. And this is not a lifetime. Mm -hmm. It's a season. And that's okay. You've talked about also this idea that even you mentioned it in the beginning that that one in a sense needs to, you've, you've used the idea of like marry yourself, right? Mm-hmm. To me, that also joins up with your, what you're talking about here, which is that there may be a season, but how much of sustaining a relationship has to just depend on oneself and what their expectations are of the relationship, mm-hmm. right? I mean, in, yeah. in the way that maybe one could lead 14 lives but be with the same person, depending mm-hmm. on what the expectations of that other person is. Right. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, I do. I think the expectations are huge because when people come out of marriages, very often they don't even know that they had expectations. Not really. They, they know what they were missing. Mm. But then you move out of the relationship and you realize what you had because <laughs> yeah. people do not perceive met needs. They perceive unmet needs. Right. So then you come out and you're like, all right, so what your your expectations for the next relationship are whatever were the unmet needs in the previous relationship. (laughs) You know, Uh it's pretty simple. Well, all the met ones and the unmet ones. And the met ones you didn't even acknowledge along the way anyway. Right. Well, Uh you don't know that they were being met until you get with the new partner and they aren't meeting those needs anymore. (laughs) And you're like, dang, I didn't even know I had a need there. Uh Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was busy getting met. Yeah. And that's when you start to be able to um, move toward all that is, is a, it's like a wake up. It's like an alarm clock, like wake up. Mm -hmm. There's more things that were unconscious about you. And this is the marrying yourself part. It's not just, I love me. I'm awesome. It's, I am the place that I actually have to do all the work. I am the place where the work needs to happen always. And then the world is either gonna, it's up or out. The world either rises to meet me, right? Like a partner. Let's say you want your partner to change. You don't work on changing your partner. You work on what's going on inside of you. And if you work on what's going on inside of you, that partner will either also up level because we are flocking, uh, attached, highly interdependent species. So they will either rise to meet you or they will bounce out of your orbit. And sometimes you want to, after someone bounces out of your orbit, you want to run and go, there's a terrible mistake. You weren't supposed to bounce out of my orbit. But what I'm here to say is they can't, I mean, they can't leave your orbit unless they're not there anymore. Hmm. They can leave and then up level and come back and meet you up here. But they're, if they're gone, it's because they're not a match anymore at some level. And then we all have to get in there and figure out how and why. Mm -hmm. Let me say one more thing, because I think this idea of you don't really see what your expectations were or what your previous relationship was until you get into the next one. Mm -hmm. You just don't. I always, as a person who's been divorced and who has been with divorced people, I've noticed that in many cases, the true divorce doesn't start until one of the partners gets into a new real relationship, hmm. not just like dating around, but like a real relationship. And that's actually when the divorce starts. Hmm. Until why then, yeah. why, why because curious. they're in the infinite possibility and you can just imagine that ah. all everything's possible and that it, it's exactly as you thought it was. And this is a very common relationship among two folks that have split up. It's like, when do you tell the other, your ex-partner, that you're finally in that relationship, right? That's oh. like, a, that's a thing that some feel they need to express, but but there is some kind of like symbolic threshold there that I think you're referring to. Yes. You know? And I also, well, because that's when the whole, that's when it gets real. Mm. 
until then it was like you don't it's like schrodinger's cat you know what i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it just you're it, both things are true until then yeah and then once you get in another relationship you open the box and the cat dies <laughs> mm-hmm. but what i would also say is i've always felt like there was an imaginary line kind of like minnesota and canada between divorce and not divorce the only real difference is that you don't you're not uh you can have sex with someone else but the actual terms of the relationship you got out of haven't changed at all you can add an additional relationship to somebody whom you like more and maybe with whom you're more compatible in various regards but that doesn't do anything on the other side of the river so to speak or the border yeah so like for instance i have a friend who was getting divorced and i said and the in the divorce both partners have moved on the husband and the wife have both moved on the wife has gotten remarried but what i see is that it just because you find someone else doesn't mean you resolved anything with the original partner or that you don't want them anymore mm-hmm. it just means you found a great thing with someone else it's almost like the flip side of a polyamorous kind of thinking and it's like actually human beings are complex and we can have multiple things going on at the same time that are you know complex attachments right so getting a divorce actually doesn't fix anything and i think if more people knew that it well it doesn't fix your problems with that person is what i'm trying to say it just means you don't have to live with them anymore and you get to be with somebody else if you want what to. are the problems with yourself though Oh, well, because that's where all the problems are. Right. And I I mean, problems is too strong of a word. Every human being has deficits, challenges. And in some, you know, I think Gottman has some other research that says 69% of a couple's problems are unsolvable. Mm -hmm. It's how you manage it. Mm. So you're, and one thing I know from having different partners is I'm just looking for somebody with the right stuff wrong. Because I'm way better at certain things that are wrong in another person than I am with other things, mm, you know. Yeah, and and it gets at my own ideas about myself, right? So usually your partner can be difficult, but if you know who you are and you know your worth, it's not that big of a deal. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, he's grumpy today, yeah, or oh, he's having a hard day, or oh, he goes to that place. Not, I'm bad, yeah, or this is bad. And if you're just joining us, my guest this hour is relationship author Tracy McMillan. We'll be back with part two of our conversation after this short break. This is Life Examined on KCRW. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's through line wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jonathan Bastian, back with Life Examined on KCRW. My guest this hour is Tracy McMillan. Married and divorced three times, she spent much of her young life in foster care. Her experiences, she says, taught her a lot about relationships and what makes them work. We've just been talking about the importance of knowing yourself and why being a good partner means feeling confident in your own self-worth. So are there times when letting go of a rocky relationship is the right thing to do? Will a divorce solve your problems? Should you stick it out or should you leave? Let's dive back in. What I think makes this so complicated for, for a lot of people and for a lot of you know couples I've, I've spoken with that are in these limbo phases is that yeah. we almost wish there was some kind of like a rubric or percentage or test you could take <laughs> that could determine whether it's worth staying in or out. Because you you know, you know, said, for example, we're not even maybe consciously aware of all the needs that are being met because they're just being met, right? You didn't go and be like, oh, okay, we checked that box. But like, I, and I think this is where we always enter in these, these, you know, these very gray categories, which is when, when it really is worth, you know, leaving. Yeah. You know, That's and, a huge one. And I get so many people asking, what should I stay or should I go? It's like right. the ultimate question. And 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 and, it, and it, of course, it's always going to be subjective, and there is no test, and there is no, and life is evolving, and it's complicated. But it's like, it's only in the departure can you look back and be like, "Whoa, 
actually like eight out of 10 things were great, but I, you know, we as humans are so focused on the negativity aspect, whether negativity Mm -hmm. bias, whatever, whatever you call it. But like, yeah, the extent to which we magnify certain Mm -hmm. wrong things to me is always fascinating. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that either, but I I don't know. I just, these are interesting ideas for me to explore, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, I'll tell you this, 70% of divorces are filed for by women. Mm. I sometimes wonder, well, what does that mean? And one thing I think it might mean, so to answer your question, a lot more women are deciding it's not worth it than men. Yeah, yeah. And I had a therapist who was more of like a spiritual person say to me once, a man will never leave you. She's like, you can make him go, but he won't leave. And I was like, what? What kind of crazy California thing is that? (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? What I've seen, there's a huge amount of truth in what she's saying, right? Like, first of all, men don't want to leave their kids. And this is what I really think it might come down to. I'm generalizing, so, and I'm genderizing, but let's call it the masculine energy in the relationship and the feminine energy in the relationship. It doesn't have to be gender. Sure, sure. The feminine energy, when it is not happy in a relationship, is really unhappy. The masculine energy can like offload into other things. They have a much more compartment ability or ability, like they're not as, it's not as important to be fulfilled Mm -hmm. in that way for the person who's in the masculine energy more of the time in the relationship. So why do women file for divorce 70% of the time? I think because when they're unhappy in a marriage, they're way more unhappy than when a man's unhappy. Hmm. That's just my take. Now, take what you like and leave the, re- leave the rest. But um, so I think sometimes women really, really need to go. And so they do. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I I was wondering if you were going to follow that up with saying maybe there's some misalignment and expectations in which both parties need to check themselves or Mm. or the feminine energy needs to check themselves. Maybe not. I mean, I'm saying this as as a man, but I I, I, like how how else could we interpret that? Is there anything else? Yeah. Well, I think if you interpret it along attachment strategy lines, Mm. um, the feminine would map loosely onto the anxious and the masculine would map onto the avoidant. Now, again, you guys, <laughs> don't go crazy. Yeah. We're just trying to see what's revealed by taking an idea out for a spin. <laughs> That's <laughs> all we're doing here. <laughs> so I think you have to be careful what you say in these matters in this time in history. Yeah. Um, and I want to respect that. I'm not making light of it. I'm simply saying, with all due respect, and I want to take care of you, this is what you do in a conflict discussion, take care of you and take care of me. Mm. So having said that, I, I feel like the anxious has a tendency to blame the avoidant. And they do not, and they, they're, uh, part of anxious attachment is like, so in infancy, when attachment styles are being developed, what what the anxious had was an intermittently responsive caregiver. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they responded and sometimes they did not. What the anxious learned to do is get louder and louder and louder. It's called protest behavior. So they start protest behavior. They get louder and louder. They have a tendency toward intensity and creating a lot of emotional intensity. That also goes along. And now this is the baby, but it's also the human. Mm. (laughs) And so I have a feeling... Secure people, almost by definition, do not get divorced. So when we're talking about divorce, we're talking about these insecure strategies crashing into each other. And I think as far as expectations are concerned, we have a culture that really supports the idea that it's kind of all that other energy's fault because they don't want to go to therapy. They have a more dismissive style that tends to... um, Deactivate is actually the word. Hmm. They deactivate the relationship and what the anxious sees when they when the avoidant deactivates is like a complete obliteration of their their self hmm. and um where avoidant is just doing what avoidant does as a strategy and it's a perfectly good strategy if you ask them <laughs> they're like look at me i can you know i can stay uh, regulated while all this while this other person is getting really big hmm. so times that by 5 or 10 years And you have a lot of how people get into what leads them to divorce. 
And it looks like all these other things. I had an affair, this thing, that thing, we grew apart, whatever. But really, it's there's mechanisms under there. Right. And I always think it's interesting when, you know, a relationship seemingly breaks up for one thing, like an affair or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's always, to me, it's always that question of like, well, what, what were the thousand little causalities that led mm-hmm. up to the moment of that? Right? Do you, you yeah. Know what I'm yeah. 100%. I mean, the thousand causalities are all these other little strategies and tactics, not at the other person. That's the thing. Nobody's doing it to each other. They're just mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. And the other person, and we're interpreting it through our lens of our style and our histories. Mm. And it's not to say that every divorce should be avoided. I don't know that that's true. I think when you kind of, you can outgrow people, you can get married under false pretenses, you can, you know, change, like all sorts of things can happen. And it doesn't happen for everyone. I just wish we could sort of expand our notion of how, what a lifetime of relationships looks like. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the reason I'm so open is that, I mean, would anybody have expected that a person with my history who got married at 19 should necessarily stay in that forever? That doesn't even make sense. Mm. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm just being rational. (laughs) That does not make sense. So it's like, let's create more um, narrative or, or other sorts of narratives besides, you know, till death do us part, which... I fully intend to have until death do I part relationship, but I needed to take 20 years off mm-hmm. before I was really, I didn't live with anybody. I didn't get married. I didn't do anybody's laundry. I didn't carpool anybody's kids in that time. I really just looked at, I was in relationships, but I was learning the skills that I needed to learn, which are the ones we're talking about, you know, the self-reflection, the ability to regulate myself instead of always be reaching to the other person for regulation. I mean, all these things that are just like the nuts and bolts of what you would be dealing with in in a couples therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the importance of when one exits a relationship, it can be a really, I mean, obviously hard, but a profound moment of self inquiry. Mm -hmm. And, but What I see, and don't get me wrong, I've seen Mm -hmm. this in myself too, oftentimes the tendency is, oh my God, how quickly can I get out of this feeling of, Mm -hmm. you know, inadequacy and loneliness and Mm -hmm. here I am adjusting to being on my own. How do I just jump back into something as fast as I can. (laughs) Exactly. And I mean, you really see it. Like, it's like, you know, people are suddenly, you know, we talked about this idea of like the quiet void. It's like they put the toe back in and it's so horrifying Mm -hmm. that the immediate pivot is to another person. Mm -hmm. Unless you're the person who's never going to be in another relationship, you know? Fair enough. That's the other version. That's the other version, (laughs) right? right? Yeah. But, um, Yes, exactly. And here's the thing now. So I've always said, I knew this part first, right? The first, the first thing I learned was if you had a dad or your modeling and your attachment, I used to say, if you had a dad who came home at di- for dinner every night at six o'clock and worked in a very stable field and he was to- a loving presence to your mom and to the kids, you can probably meet somebody and run off to Vegas in 20 minutes and get married and it'll be okay. Mm. But if you have my history, if there's like, you know, criminals, you know, and there's, there's a alcoholics, like all sorts of ragtag. And I say this, I bless them because they are my people. And I, it's not that I'm trying to, um, I'm not trying to opt out of ownership in that lineage. I'm simply saying, if that's your background, if that's your dad, Mm -hmm. you probably shouldn't be getting married in a hurry. (laughs) You don't want to move in with anybody in a hurry. You don't want to do anything in a hurry. Because when you have chemistry with somebody, that's pretty much, as far as I'm concerned, a marker that there's a lot of unconscious material there. That's all it means. Hmm. It just means, whoo. I just hit on something that is familiar in a very unconscious way. And then the first you're going to have a honeymoon and for however long, but the minute the doors are closed in that relationship and you're in the, you're in the middle 
of it, right? The beginning's over and you hit power struggle, it's going to get gnarly, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm not saying we should all go find somebody with whom we don't have very much chemistry because I tried that. <laughs> I did try that. Um, when your dad's a criminal, I knew the people I had the highest amount of chemistry with were nightmares. I could see that. Mm. And um, nice people I didn't have that much chemistry with. So these are the things on the, on the beginning side of a relationship that you really have to look at. Like when somebody says, you know, there was like a lot of chemistry in the relationship, usually I'm like, okay, they're going to go through some things, you know, they're going to go through some things and all they're going to go through is themselves and their own material and all their past and all that stuff, formation and relationship tendencies. But that's hard stuff. And a lot of people would rather blame it on, oh, I married it, you know, she was crazy or he was crazy and I'm out of here. So. Yeah. Again, we keep coming back to the same thing, which is like, we all have work to do. Right. Because no one's perfect. We all have deficits, you know? And it's interesting. It's the sense that patterns and unconscious Mm -hmm. behaviors are inherited in a way Mm -hmm. that I think for maybe a lot of people feel a little unfair. Some like, ah, why did I get stuck with this? You know, why can't, why wasn't I the one that was given the family with a dad who came home at six o'clock and loved me and talked me in and and had a stable relationship, right? Because actually probably most people listening are not that, right? Mm. They didn't come from that. And, you know, when we look, I mean, divorce rates, I guess, have always hovered fairly high and the, but it's, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, I do. It's like, what is this weird burden that, and and I want to like also remind people of like hopefulness in this too, right? Like, this oh is- yeah, to me this is like ultimately hopeful because it's not happening to me. I've actually you, you find out you're an agent. You're just not directly controlling other people. You're mm. you're determining who you are and how you react. So what's different in my current relationship for me and for my partner? Um, is that I have so much awareness of these patterns, like you, you mentioned patterns. Once you understand the pattern and that the, the thought that is coming to my mind, so let's say um, you're early in a relationship and the person doesn't text you um, or uh, they distance for an hour or a day, right? Because distancing is normal if you like people on the avoidance side of the strategy. Uh, strategy. Yeah. So, what is what am I? What is my action going to be when that happens? Well, in the olden days, it would have been a reflexive action of sending a text or reaching out or, you know, having anxiety that I wanted the other person or the relationship to alleviate. Well, now I I am different. I don't take that action, which means there's one less brick in the wall of that dynamic, which is so corrosive. Mm-hmm. And one, you do this one day at a time, one breath at a time, one hour at a time, and you arrive in a different place after three years than you were in your previous relationships. I will also say that the divorce rate among the college educated is around 11%. Mm. It's actually very low. Now, that's partly because only certain people get married. Most people don't get married. The marriage rate is below 50%. Never, never been there in history, Right. So people don't even get married. Of the people who do, when they are older and good at abstract reasoning, I'm going to say, uh-huh. they, that's what the college-educated metric means to me. Also, there's you know, resources involved. Yes, yeah. They make a pretty good decision. Well, if we you know, step back and also look at the role of something you're involved in, and I am, which is media, and mm-hmm. the way that... that marriage is still represented in mm-hmm. shows or in advertising or in whatever. And those can be very different things. I think there, there's really great stuff out there, you know, mm-hmm. also like, and we just think about just what expectations still are surrounding relationships. Do you, mm-hmm. do you think we live in a healthy climate of, <laughs> of two <laughs> no, people? No, no? Okay. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I think it's, it's, it's tough. Like, my, the first image that comes to mind when you start asking that question is The Bachelor. Yes, of course. You know? right, yeah, yeah. Like Cinderella. It's like that collective fantasy. And it's there's a reason that that show is on like season 27. Mm. It's like one of the longest running shows on television. 
Because there's a collective fantasy around that idea that is so strong that it's persisted, you know, on TV in an age where things don't really last that long. So that's number one. But one of my, my, my dream legacy project, and I don't really know how I'm going to do this. So if anybody out there is listening and has an idea for, you know, wants to put this together with me, um, I want to come up with the food pyramid of healthy relationships. Hmm. And what do I mean by that? I mean, we need to understand, just like we came around in the 70s and we started to understand like, oh, actually the diet should be consisted of this. Healthy nutrition consists of this. So we, now we all sort of know this many grains, a little bit, you know, you know, you're not supposed to eat potato chips all day. Right. Like you get it. You've heard the, you've heard the news, <laughs> vegetables, meats, dairy, grains, right. you know. And this is not I the food eat- pyramid by like Quaker Oats or a corporation. This is a real yeah. good one, right? Yeah, like so. the real food pyramid. Right. You know? Yeah. And I feel like we need a relationship. Well, there's, we need a relationship uh, corollary to that, that says, yeah. this is what you need to be looking for. Secure functioning, uh, you know, healthy conflict, like what, whatever those things are, and then popularize it so that we have something else other than the bachelor or premium cable. And I say this as a person who has a streaming premium, (laughs) streaming dramedy, I'm trying through my scripted show to put some ideas into the culture that the culture desperately needs about realistic ideas about relationships and why we do what we do, why we choose the people we choose, yeah. and why we act, you know, act a certain way. So I feel like we do need some more messages because most TV shows, the protagonists, I'm going to say most, again, I'm going to generalize, the protagonists are avoidant. And I'm like, they're, I, don't, I don't behave that way. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we should exalt people and say, this is the way you're supposed to be, where you don't care at all. You're either in the fantasy of the bachelor or the fantasy of the person who doesn't need anybody and is like the rugged individualist, whether it's female, male, whatever. So I do think we need some new uh, ideas in the culture in this. And we just need to get together and have some new voices. And I think what's so kind of discombobulating about the the modern age with all this, too, is that, and I think that this can be really good in some senses that, that like therapy and psychology language is kind of now more everywhere too. That's true. Right? So like you and I are talking about attachment theory and we're kind of assuming yeah. that people kind of know what's going on because it's on yeah, TikTok, they, yeah, on Twitter. And, they do. And many they do, do, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet you also have competing ideas of marriage or relationships like The Bachelor or all you, I mean, mm-hmm. I think there's so much noise out there that mm-hmm. people need to sort through. And I think it can leave some almost like in an over-analytical state where mm-hmm. they have new tools of picking things apart or in a yes. state that is, you know, overly romanticized or disnified or whatever. But like, for me, when I hold that all together, it's almost like paralytic in a sense, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? It's like, how much of this do you let in to the relationship or the psyche or the self or whatever mm-hmm. to... Oh, that's a great question. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and I don't know that the, the you know... The quotient here of, of helpful versus unhelpful, but mm-hmm. uh, but I'm just kind of sitting in this with you, figuring it out. I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say anything you feel urgent about is unconscious and old and not mm-hmm. related to the today situation in the relationship. Mm-hmm. A huge percentage of the time. Yeah. You know, one thing I've learned. So I'm on the anxious side, but I I'm pretty secure functioning most of the time at this point, and. Um, one thing I notice is, but I, I sort of look at it as countries. I come from France, you know, <laughs> the avoidant comes from England. In France, you know, we like to talk about the relationship all day. We like to just relate, relate, relate all mm. the time. In England, they like to be like, they like to make contact sometimes, but it's much harder for them to break into an activity that they're doing to relate. Mm. And they're not going to want to have emotional material happening all the time. They're going to want a lot of time where there's administrative material or doing, you know, just like let's do, you know, hobbies or actions, activities. And one thing I've learned by letting more England into my life, because I used to basically be speak French or I'm upset with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, And now I've learned that I really enjoy not 
having to talk about the relationship all the time. Mm. And that, if anybody who knows me personally, I do it in these contexts where it's appropriate, but I don't necessarily meta, you know, armchair quarterback the relationship while we're doing it. Yeah. We have times we do that and they are, and we've made agreements around those times. Right. So I think like the message of making agreements and the message of not need more needing to live more living and less analysis, I think is crucial to well-being. Cause if all your needs are met, actually you're not thinking about your relationship all the time. Mm, yeah. And finally, I mean, do, do you think there is happiness without long-term relationships? There's some people that are like, mm. I, I'm fine. I don't need it. I'm I know. That's an avoidant thing to say. I'm just going to say. Now, and again, this is not a label, guys. This is like blue eyes, brown eyes, type O, type B, you know, blood type. It's not, it's not a judgment. It's a, an attempt to discuss something. What I'm going to say is the attachment need is actually more important in a human being than food. Mm. Why? Because without the attachment, there is no food. And we have a period of dependency that is, you know, we can't even make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich by ourselves until we're like six. We are 100% dependent on primary attachment Mm. for a very, very long time. So I'm going to say we as a species did not evolve to be alone. Mm. We are going to go and seek primary attachment somewhere. If humans aren't safe, we'll find something else or somebody else. We can have friends or if, you know, if a human romantic partner love relationship isn't, doesn't feel safe, then we can have a dog or our mom or our friend or our job or some, you know, whatever our AI, you know, voice. I don't know, but we will seek primary attachment. We will. And the pretty much definition of whatever I mean, I shouldn't joke about that. Well, I won't say that. I mean, of a sociopath is a person who's not, who doesn't need it. So I'm going to say 90% of us are more are not. Yeah, we need it, mm-hmm. but we may not have the tools to do it with a partner, a love relationship partner, because that is high stakes, super vulnerable and very, very challenging and I do not blame a single person who says this is hard, too hard, never mind. But I would hope that they stay engaged in the process because I do believe it's possible for all of us. Well, it's been such a joy to chat with Tracy McMillan, writer and author of a number of books on relationships. Thank you so much for just opening up about all this stuff today. Thank you. It was fun. All right, that's it for this week. The producer of Life Examined is Andrea Brody. And every time we do a show on relationships, we tend to get a lot of thoughts and opinions, and I'm not surprised. And we love to welcome those from any of our listeners. So if you agree with Tracy McMillan, disagree, or just want to add to the conversation, find us on Facebook. There's a link at kcrw.com slash lifeexamined. You can also connect with me personally on Instagram. I'm at Jonathan W. Bastion. Thanks as always for joining us on Life Examined on KCRW. I'm Jonathan Bastian. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next week.